Hey, so excited to be here today. I'm not sure what your weekend looked like, but we had a great weekend here at Restoration Church. We had the opportunity to kick off our community garden, and uh, so thankful for those of you that showed up and were a part of that. Um, I tell you, it was really fun. We had a couple of the news stations give me a call and say, hey, we'd love to get uh, some feedback about the, gar- the garden and, and some recordings. So I, I show up at the garden, and the guy says to me, well, you know, you've got a face for radio, but I guess we can record you anyways. And so... And all the people said, amen. Just kidding. And, and so we had a great time kicking off our garden. We, we are so thankful for, for all the work that's been put into it. Tom Hale, I'm not sure if Tom is here. Tom, you have been a rock. And thank you so much for the hard work that's been put into it. And uh, we are, are, are blessed and honored. And... Uh, so if you are still wanting more information in the community garden, there's still plenty of, of things happening there. Talk to Tom. Tom would love to be able to get you squared away. And, um, and that'll be a fun project for us to uh, continue in this summer. So I want to start out this morning with a little bit of a confession. We're at church, right? We're supposed to be able to be honest with each other. And it's, it's okay to confess things, right? So my confession, my confession is that sometimes I can be a little inconsistent. Yeah? As, as, as a husband, as a father, there's times in my life that I can just be a little bit inconsistent. And in fact, even in my faith, there can be times in my faith that I can be a little inconsistent. I can go through seasons where it seems like God and I, we are, we are so close, we're so tight. I, I am reading my Bible all the time. I feel like I am praying to God and we're always in communication. And it seems like we go through these seasons where we are just as tight as can be. But if I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to say there are times that there is some inconsistency. And there's times when we go through life and I'm not as close to God as I should be. I'm not reading his word. I don't find myself talking to him unless I'm praying before a meal because I've got people around me. And that's what a pastor is supposed to do. And so if I'm going to be honest, I'm going to say that there are times in my life that I can be inconsistent. You know why I say this today? Because I imagine... Most of us have times in our life and in our faith that we are inconsistent as well. I imagine when I make this confession, I hope some of you are being relieved. Whew, I'm not the only one. I feel so much better to know I'm not the only one who struggles with inconsistency at times. Because I'm going to guess that if all of us are being honest with ourselves today, that we would admit that we have some inconsistency within our faith and within our lives. Despite whatever spiritual mask that we put on, we try to wear, we go through seasons where our faith is up and down and up and down and up and down. I mean, think about this. Think about your relatives, your friends. Think about people that that you were so close to 10, 15 years ago. It was interesting. This past week, I had the chance to go to Eisenhower High School. Uh, I graduated from Eisenhower High School like many years ago. But my son had a fifth grade band concert. So we go to Eisenhower for the band concert. And I'm looking around the school and it's the new building. But one of the things they had is they had the, the senior class. There's a board that everybody signs their name. Somehow I got my name signed on that board twice. I don't know how that happened. But I got my name and I'm looking at all these names on this board. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I remember that kid. That kid we met freshman class, uh, freshman year in Japanese class. Who takes Japanese? I don't know. We met in freshman year in Japanese class, and we became so close, we were going to change the world together. And, I, and I'm seeing his name on there, and I'm like, man, when's the last time I talked to him? Well, you know, I think on Facebook a couple years ago, I think I did the Facebook, you know, happy birthday, it's your birthday, happy birthday, dude. I haven't talked to you in 10 years, but happy birthday, man. 
And I begin to think about people, and, and we, we should do this. Think about your friends and your relatives that you were so close to years ago. But now these are people that sometimes you barely talk to. So let me, let me ask you a question. This is where this is going. This has a, a point to it. Ten, ten years from now, let's just imagine ten years from now, will you still love Jesus? Ten years from now, will you still have the same amount of faith, the same amount of trust in God as you do right now? Or will Jesus become like one of those distant relatives? Like one of those distant relatives that you see every now and then, but they really don't have any impact on your life anymore. They're just somebody that occasionally you will talk to, but they really have no impact on your life. I mean, how do we know? How do we know that that will not be our faith? Because the reality is most of us are rather inconsistent up and down. See, I believe that Jesus will ensure that his people will have faith. Even when we have these, these, these obvious and blatant uh, inconsistencies, Jesus will make sure that we have faith to the end. See, the hope of enduring to the end has nothing to do with how strong we are, with how wise we are, with how, with how righteous we are. Our hope is that Jesus will stay with us and will patiently endure with us. So, starting out today by acknowledging our inconsistencies. Uh, If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up. We've got a couple ushers in the back. We'd love to come on and bring one of those to you. Uh, Verses will also be on the screen so you can follow along up here. But here, as we've studied in the Gospel of Mark, uh, we're almost halfway through the Gospel of Mark. And and we're about to see a a climax here. We're we're about to see the first of two climaxes. Now, if you remember when we began the Gospel of Mark, we said that Mark is broken into two halves. The first half really deals with understanding who Jesus is. And it's an emphasis for us to understand and see who Jesus is. And the second half of Mark is about why Jesus came. And so... And so here in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is going to perform a miracle. And it's a miracle that really points to our own inconsistencies within our faith. And ultimately, it's a miracle that will help us to understand who Jesus really is. So you have a Bible where in Mark chapter 8, we're going to start reading in verse 22. But before we read, I'm going to ask that you would pray with me. God, we are thankful for the opportunity to be here today that we can worship you and we can open up your word. Uh, And God, I pray that you would speak to us through it. God, I pray that you would help us understand that we're not just listening to a a pastor's opinion, but God, this is your word that is being uh, read. This is your word that is being taught. God, I pray that you would give us understanding today, that you would help us to understand the things that are being said, that your word would become clear. That, God, you would draw us closer into a closer relationship with you. That you would help us to know you better. God, we love you and we praise you. And and, and we plead for your presence with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark chapter 8, starting reading in verse 22. And it says, And they came to Bethsaida, that is, Jesus and the disciples. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. And when he had spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. 
and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home, saying, do not even enter the village. See, this miracle here, it raises, has to raise a couple questions in our minds. I mean, why, why didn't Jesus heal this man the first time? In that, in, that, in that miracle, Jesus goes to him first and he spits on his eyes and says, do you see anything? And he says, well, I see, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. I can't make anything out. And then Jesus goes and he opens his eyes again and says, now what do you see? And he says, now I see clearly. So how come Jesus couldn't heal him the first time? What was the issue? I mean, you begin to think, well, maybe Jesus lacked power. Maybe Jesus didn't have the power when he first tried to heal him. Or, or maybe he didn't do something right. But you see, as we've studied through the Gospel of Mark, in fact, as we look at all throughout the, the Gospels, the story of Jesus' lives, nothing would make us believe that Jesus has any lack of power to perform this miracle. In fact, as we've looked at all these miracles in the Gospel of Mark, we've seen Jesus do these things. Jesus calmed an effectual hurricane. Remember how fast he calmed it? Jesus said, be still. And guess what happened? The waves died down. The wind was gone in a moment, in an instant, in the flash of an eye. Think about Jesus, how he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. This wasn't a progressive miracle. This girl wasn't a zombie first and then came back to real life after that. No, Jesus said, little girl, be raised. And in a moment, in an instant, she was healed and she came back to life. So we have to think. We have to think and we have to look at this miracle and say, there must be a reason why Jesus is doing this miracle in stages. And see, while we, we call this story a miracle, I think a, maybe a better word for this would be a parable. A parable is, uh, means that it's a metaphor. It's, it's, this is like something else. There's a picture behind it. And so this story really is a, a miracle slash parable that describes uh, what is happening in the verses surrounding this miracle. It describes what happened before and what's going to happen right after. That Jesus is healing this blind man in a very particular way in order to teach his disciples something very important. See, in this miracle, the blind man had, had three different stages. The first stage, Jesus, the first stage, the man was blind. Completely blind. Couldn't see. Second stage, he could partly see. Remember, he could see people, but they looked like trees. He couldn't make them out. And finally, the third stage was that he could see clearly and fully. See, if we understand this miracle or this parable, it will help us to understand the verses that come before and the verses that come after. I mean, if we understand this, this text in, in, in light of this, we'll see We'll see that, that the blind man's first stage, his blindness, his blindness, actually represents the Pharisees in this text. We'll see that the second stage of this blind man's healing, where he could partly see but not fully, represents the disciples before the end of the, the, end of the text. And finally, if you understand, again, this parable, this miracle, then we'll see that the third stage, when the man could, was completely healed, when he could see clearly, represents his disciples after What's going to come right after this miracle? And so, and so we are going to see these different things. And we're going to see this progression of how this miracle is going to play out in, the, in this story, in this context of, of Mark chapter 8. And so starting to look at the rest of the text in light of this miracle, let's look at verse 1. Starts out in verse 1. 
And it says, in those days, when a great crowd had gathered, you've got to remember where we were the last couple of weeks, Jesus has been in Gentile territory. Jesus is still in Gentile territory. It says, in those days, when a great crowd gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them um, have come from far away. And his disciples answered him and said, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And Jesus asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Well, we've got seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down around. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples, and he went to the district of uh, Dalmanutha. See, this is actually the second mass-feeding miracle that Jesus has performed. In Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30 to 44, Jesus, while still in Jewish territory, had another miracle that was very similar. There was 5,000 men that were there and countless women and children. Uh, If it was a Mormon territory, it would have been even a lot more women. Just kidding. That's a side joke. Probably inappropriate. I'm sorry for that. Uh, So Jesus had this crowd of all these different people. And again, they were hungry. They had nothing to eat. And Jesus said to his disciples, how much food do we have? And they said, well, we've got five loaves of bread and two small fish. And Jesus took that five loaves of bread and two small fish, and he prayed for it. And he, and he multiplied that to where the entire crowd was fed and was full. And, and after, after the, all the crowd was fed and full, they, they collected up the leftovers, and there was 12 baskets remaining of food. And so this is, a, a, this is the first time that Jesus did this. And here in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is going to do almost the very same miracle. This time, there's 4,000 people that are there. They're in the desolate place. There's not much food around. There's no Walmart down the road. There's no Safeway. There's no Albertsons. And so Jesus says, what do we have? And they say, well, we've got seven loaves of fish and or seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. And Jesus prays for them, and he multiplies that food, and he feeds the crowd. See, something we have to understand about Mark. He's the writer of this book. Mark is not just a reporter. He's not just there to tell you all the things that happened to report the facts. Mark is a teacher. Mark is a teacher, and he's highly selective on on what he chooses to to bring out. He's highly selective on what he decides to put in his book. And so there must be something significant about this miracle as to why why Mark would include this miracle in this book. Because it's so similar to the one that has already happened. So yes, we can look at this miracle and we can say there's a few things we can learn from it. We can learn that, that, that Jesus, we can learn that Jesus uh, shows that Jesus cares. I mean, we can, we can take that and we can say, yes, Jesus absolutely cares for us. I mean, look what it said in verse 2. It says, Jesus had compassion on them. I mean, we can look at that and say, yes, Jesus is concerned about the details of our, of our lives. And let me tell you, Jesus absolutely is concerned with the details of our lives. He has compassion. He cares. We can look at this miracle and we can say, uh, Jesus provides. I mean, absolutely. 
I mean, when the disciples explain that they have no resources to, he, to feed this huge crowd, Jesus quickly moves into action, and he blesses the seven small loaves and, and, and the few small fish, and he gives it to them, and he distributes, and Jesus provides. And we can take that and say, Jesus provides for us as well. Our deepest needs, Jesus will provide, and that is true. And that's something that we can walk away from, walk away and say, Jesus has spoken to me through that. We could also say, through this miracle, Jesus satisfies. This, this shows that Jesus satisfies. Verse 8 says, they ate and they were all satisfied. And afterwards, they collected seven large baskets with all of the excess food. I mean, obviously, Jesus is awesome. I mean, obviously, that's what this miracle wants to point out, is Jesus is totally awesome, and he is. And while these things are true, and while they're important for us to learn, I think there's something more significant that, that, that Mark wants us to see. I think there's something more significant that even Jesus wants us to see. See, Jesus had said to the disciples, he said, come on, guys, we've got to figure out how to feed this crowd. And he says, I have compassion on them, and I can't send them away hungry. And remember what the disciples said in verse 4? They said in verse 4, the disciples answered him and said, how can one feed these people with the bread that we have here in this desolate place? Jesus, how can we feed these people? We only have these seven small loaves of bread and these two fish. There's no way that we can feed these people with this circumstance. See, not long ago, in chapter 6, the disciples had already seen Jesus feed that 5,000 men and the countless women and children with five loaves of bread and two small fish. Yet here we see them just as clueless. Jesus, we have no clue what to do. We don't have any bread. There's no way for us to feed these people. See, later in the text, later in the text, we see that Jesus calls out their lack of faith and their lack of understanding about who he is, about, about the abilities that they face regarding both of these events. See, you and I, we can read this story. We can read the gospel of Mark, and, and we might be able to say, man, those disciples, they just don't get it. I mean, why wouldn't they get it? I mean, I mean, I mean, this miracle shows that the disciples still don't have a, a full understanding. They still have a spiritual blindness about them. They still don't get who Jesus is. Jesus has already performed a miracle about feeding all these people. Certainly Jesus could do it again. I mean, if Jesus could feed the 5,000, there's no reason why Jesus couldn't do the 4,000. And so we've got to be able to say, man, what's wrong with these disciples? Why don't they get it? I mean, we can read through the Gospel of Mark and we can say, man, I get it. I mean, if I was there, I would have been like, hey, Jesus, you did this before, you can do it again. Let's see you do it, Jesus. And see, you and I, we might find it hard to understand why the disciples failed to get it. Why they, they failed to, to understand why Jesus could feed the 5,000, but why they forgot that Jesus could do the 4,000. But you see, Mark is showing us how great our spiritual blindness is. As human beings, we have this great spiritual blindness. I mean, these, these disciples, they've been around Jesus for all, all of his ministry so far. And they continually fail to apply what they know about Jesus to new situations. They continually to, to fail to remember and, and apply the things that they've already seen Jesus do. They fail to apply that to their lives and to the current situations that they are in. This is the definition of unbelief. This revelation of spiritual blindness and incomprehension is important for us to see because this is what Mark is teaching through this miracle of this blind man. He's showing us what spiritual blindness looks like even for those that are close to him. So here's the thing. 
Don't be proud. And I say this to myself as well. We can't be proud. We can't look at the disciples and say, man, those guys are idiots. They just don't get it. If I was there, I would have gotten it. If I was there, I would have known. Yeah, Jesus, you can do it again. See, let's not think of ourselves as being better than the disciples. Let's not think about how, how, how dumb they are and how we would have got it right. Because again, if we are going to be honest about our inconsistencies, we should actually see ourselves in the disciples. I mean, mature believers, the, the more mature I become in my faith in, with Jesus, the more I learn that my heart continually wants to doubt again and again and again. That even though I've been through situations where, where God has previously showed up and showed us power and care for us, I still begin to doubt when a new situation arises. Is God going to show up? Is God going to take care of me? See, we never stop worrying. We never expect God to act a second time to help us. We need to look at our anxieties now. and We need to see how they fail to remember what Jesus has already done for us in the past. How God has provided us for, for us in the past. So certainly, why won't God provide for us now? Spiritual memories are extremely short. We have this short attention span to our spiritual memories where, where God shows up and does something. And guess what? Soon enough, we're going to forget about it. Because we're going to be in another situation and we're going to wonder, is Jesus going to show up? Is God going to take care of me again? That is the nature of our hearts. That is the nature of, of spiritual blindness. So here, right after this mass meeting miracle, in verse 11, it says the Pharisees, they show up and they, they begin to, to show us how they are like that blind man. They look at Jesus and they don't see anything. They just see darkness. It says in verse 11, it says, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. And he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and he got into the boat. They went to the other side. See, this was the common pattern for the Pharisees. They immediately began to question Jesus. They demand a sign from him. They demand a miracle. They want to see more. They want Jesus to prove that he really is the Son of God. That really, he really is the, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And says, Jesus sighs deeply in his spirit. These men grieve him because they are bent on not believing him. They're bent on disregarding him. See, I don't know if those Pharisees, if they were actually there when Jesus fed the 4,000 people. I don't know if they were actually there. But I do know that these Pharisees have seen Jesus perform countless miracles. They've seen Jesus heal the sick. They've seen Jesus cast out demons. They've seen Jesus raise the dead. They've seen Jesus do all sorts of amazing miracles. And yet, they are still here asking for another miracle. They want one more sign to prove that Jesus really is the Messiah. He has given them more evidence and teaching for them to know. Given them more than enough to believe in who he is. See, these Pharisees, these Pharisees are completely blind to who Jesus is. They are just like that blind man in the first stage. They cannot see at all who Jesus is. Jesus denies their request. Jesus knows that some other sign or miracle, it won't fix their lack of faith. See, the Pharisees seeking signs is not a sign of faith, but rather it shows a lack of faith. 
See, when we seek signs from Jesus, it's not, uh, it's not showing that we want more faith. I think it actually begins to show more of our pride. You see, there's, there's, there's a time when I was serving at Madison House where there's one of these kids that I was working with. And, and I had this kid, and, and we had all these deep conversations about faith. And I kept trying to point him to Jesus. You need to be in a relationship with Jesus. You need to come, and you need to surrender to Jesus. And I remember one night, it was, it was a late night. We got done playing soccer, and he says, he says to me this. He says, Kevin... I will believe in Jesus if he shows up right here, right now, in front of me. He says, I'll repent of my sin, and I'll come to believe in him if he just shows up right now. I remember going home that night. I remember this kid said, yeah, where's Jesus? He's not here right now. And I remember going home that night, and I was so mad, saying, God, why wouldn't you just show up? I mean, God, this kid would have believed in you. He would have put his faith in you. God, why couldn't you just show up tonight? That's all you needed to do was show up. And this kid, he would have believed in you. And his life would have been changed forever. But you see, this request, this this demand, this asking Jesus to show another sign, it's not really showing an actual pursuit of Jesus in a humble way. It's actually revealing pride and, and arrogance. I mean, what this kid was saying and what these Pharisees are saying is they're saying, I will believe in you, Jesus. I will believe in you if you do exactly what I want you to do. If you do what I want you to do, then I will believe in you. If you show up, if you do a miracle, if you do this for me now, then I will believe in you. If you meet my requirements, if you meet my standards, then I will believe in you. See, what you're saying when you're asking for signs is that we'll believe God only if you obey our commands. We're saying, God, you've got to do what we want you to do for us to to believe in you. Seeking signs, it doesn't show an actual pursuit of Jesus. I think it shows pride. I think it shows our blindness. So again, let's not look at the disciples here. Let's not look at the Pharisees and, and think we're so much better than they are. Let's not try and separate ourselves from those Pharisees and think that we are so much better than they are. Because how many times, how many times have we asked God, God, would you just show me another sign? God, would you just show me something? I mean, if you just do this one thing, I promise, Jesus, I promise I'll obey. I promise I will trust you. I promise I will follow you. And when that thing doesn't happen, when that thing doesn't happen, we say, I can't trust God. Because God let this thing happen in my life. I can't trust God because he let my relationship fall apart. I can't trust God because he made me lose my job. I mean, this is really saying I can't trust God if he doesn't do what I want him to do. Don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that we can't ask God for things. We can't ask God for the things in our hearts. We absolutely can. But you see, here's the key. When the basis of your faith is contingent upon him meeting your request, then it has become more about pride than it does about really pursuing a relationship with Jesus. So this blind man, when he was in that initial stage, that first stage, completely blind, this represents the Pharisees. They are completely blind to who Jesus really is. Remember that that miracle, though, that, that second stage. That blind man, he was given some sight. He was partly healed. He could see people, but he said they looked like trees. I can't make anything out clearly. See, this represents the disciples. They lacked the faith like the Pharisees, just in a different way. 
They could see that Jesus was someone special. They could see that Jesus was someone different. They could follow him with their lives. But they didn't know exactly who Jesus was. And they didn't yet trust. And they didn't yet depend on him just yet like they should. Look what it says in verse 14. It says, now they, these are the disciples, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have you eyes Do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And he said, and the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? See, these disciples are on the boat with Jesus. And they forgot to bring lunch. And they forgot to bring lunch. And so they begin to talk about, talk about where they're going to get bread. And Jesus hears them discussing this. He hears them talking about this. And he says, hey, Mick, hey guys, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Remember, I fed the 4,000 people. Don't worry about where you're going to get the bread. I will provide bread for you. And he says, don't worry about this physical bread. But he, then he begins talking about this spiritual bread. He warns them of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. You see, when you see leaven in the Bible, it's always going to represent evil. It's always going to represent sin. It's always going to represent unbelief. And, and when, you, when you're baking, you take a small amount of, of leaven or, or, or yeast, and it will permeate and affect a whole lump of dough when it's mixed together. And so Jesus is warning them and saying, the leaven of unbelief and blindness, which is what the Pharisees and Herod have, that leaven has gripped their hearts and has taken complete control of their lives. And Jesus is saying, dudes, watch out for that unbelief. Watch, don't let that permeate your life. Don't let that permeate your heart. But these disciples, remember, they follow Jesus for how long now? They've seen Jesus do all sorts of miracles and they still do not see him clearly. They can't put two and two together, realizing that if Jesus can feed the 4,000, then surely he could feed the 12 of them on that boat. So the disciples, they show us that second phase. They show us what it means where they can see something out there. They can see Jesus is special. They can see Jesus is different, but they don't quite understand exactly who he is. They are that second stage of that blind man. Just, I mean, just imagine the conversation that Mark records for us that Jesus had with the disciples. I mean, this is something like you would see a parent do with their teenager, with an absent-minded teenager. Maybe you've got one of those. You know, Jesus says, why are you guys discussing not having bread? And you can imagine the disciples' response, uh, well, we're, we're, we're hungry. And Jesus says, well, well, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Well, I, I, I don't know, maybe. And he says, have you eyes do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? Well, um, I guess not. And it says, hey, 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 disciples, when I fed the 5,000 people, how many baskets full of food did you take up? Uh, 12. Well, when I fed the 4,000 people, disciples, how many baskets did you collect? Um, seven. Do you not yet understand? Apparently not. 
The disciples still don't get it. They've seen Jesus do all these things, but they still do not get it. And again, let's not make ourselves out to be better than the disciples here. Some of us, most of us, we have been here in the same exact spot. Let's be honest. You know, we have Jesus with us, but we still doubt whether or not he is going to take care of us. When it comes to our needs, we can't trust him to provide for our needs. How easily we forget that how faithful that he's been. How we forget all the tangible ways that he has taken care of us throughout our entire life. We forget the past of what God has done for us. How God has taken us through hard times and we think, oh God, you can't help us now. We stress about money. Forgetting how God has always provided us throughout our entire lives. We stress about obeying and sacrificing something for him. Forgetting all the times in the past that we've obeyed. And life has been joyful from obeying God. Even in church. We go through times in church where it, where it gets hard. And things get difficult. Even in our church, we've had times that have been hard and difficult. And when we face new hard times, we forget God's faithfulness. We forget that God said, I will build my church. So when you look at the Pharisees, when you look at the disciples, what hope do we have that they will actually ever come to fully believe Jesus, to understand who he is? Jesus is right in front of them, and they still can't seem to figure it out. And for them, if Jesus is right in front of them and they don't get it, what hope does that give for you and I? What hope does that give for us in our faith? If Jesus was right in front of them and they couldn't believe, what about you and I? Will we ever come to fully understand who Jesus is? You got to think back to that miracle though. You got to think back to that blind man. At first he was blind and he couldn't see anything completely. And then he was partially healed and he could see something. He just couldn't quite see clearly. And that, that third phase, he was completely healed. And the man could see everything clearly. Again, this miracle is teaching his disciples something very important. Jesus is showing uh, his disciples the clear vision that he gives the man. That is a clear vision that he gives to us. So we can finally see who he is. He's going to give this to the disciples and they're going to finally begin to see Jesus for who he is. Look look what happens in verse 27. And Jesus went with his disciples in the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked the disciples, he says, who do people say that I am? They told him, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. And others say you're one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them and he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him and said, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged him not to tell anyone about it. I mean, these are the guys who have not gotten anything right about Jesus. Time and time and time again, we see their inconsistency. We've seen, they've seen miracle upon miracle, and yet they still can't understand that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus will take care of them. And Jesus asked them that simple question of, who do people say that I am? And they give the typical response. You know, yeah, Jesus, uh, you're, you're awesome, but it's not like we haven't seen something like this before. You're like one of the prophets that have come before you. This is the same answer that our culture would say about Jesus. 
People say Jesus, he was a good teacher. Jesus is a good example. He's kind of like Buddha, just someone that we can learn from and, and we can take some things and, and become a little bit more uh, spiritual. Uh, he's one of many who have led us in the past. But then Jesus takes that question and turns it directly on the disciples. And he says, who do you say that I am? And suddenly things change. And the disciples begin to see Jesus for who he really is. See, you and I, we should not expect them to get the right answer. Because everything we've seen about the disciples is they don't get it. They do not understand. They are are still partially blind. They, They see Jesus as something special, but they have not gotten it up to this point. But something miraculous happens right here. And now they see clearly. This is not a partial vision, but now they see clearly who Jesus is. Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the one that was promised to come. You're the one who's going to get rid of sin. You're the one who's going to give us freedom. You are the Christ, the Messiah. I mean, the same guys who couldn't understand anything about Jesus because of his miracles, they now, all of a sudden, they know specifically who he is. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. He is the Son of God. He is the Christ. This is a faith that Jesus was talking about. All of a sudden, they see like that blind man. Like all of a sudden, there's this miracle, and they can finally see, Jesus, that is who you are. You are the Son of God. I'm supposed to follow you with my life. You are the Christ. They have clear sight into who Jesus really is. Just makes me think. Why is it that these disciples can finally see who Jesus is? How come the Pharisees couldn't see? Why were the disciples able to put faith in Jesus but not the Pharisees? Were they more faithful and spiritual? Were the disciples more more spiritual than the Pharisees? You could probably argue that they weren't. The only difference that I can see between the Pharisees and the disciples is that Jesus stayed with the disciples. When they showed their lack of faith, when they showed their inconsistencies, Jesus stayed and Jesus instructed them. When the Pharisees, when they showed their unbelief, when they said, Jesus, give us another sign, what did Jesus do? He got on the boat and he left. He saw their lack of faith and he left them. See, we've got to understand this. These disciples, they didn't figure this out on their own. They didn't figure out who Jesus was on their own. Peter came to believe because Jesus gave him the sight to believe. Jesus gave him the faith to trust and to understand exactly who Jesus was, that he is the Son of God, the Christ. You see, humanity, our world, it's not broken up in, in good people and bad people. Our world is not broken up into godly people and, and sinful people or, or good people and bad people or, or faithful people and faithless people. See, our world is broken up into a bunch of bad people and one good person named Jesus. And our faithless people, one faithless people and one faithful God named Jesus. And this is the story of our lives. Not that we are faithful and that we are consistent, but that Jesus is faithful. And Jesus is consistent when we aren't. He stays with us. And he continues to give us eyes to see who he is. He is our only hope. Our hope isn't Jesus showing us another miracle. Our hope can only be that Jesus opens our eyes to help us understand who he is. 
He's the only one who can sustain us and to give us faith. Our application this morning is very simple. Application is to stay near Jesus. To stay close to him. To lean in. Because the only way, the only way that we're going to understand how faith works, the only way that we're going to understand who Jesus is, the only way we're going to understand what God wants from our life, is not by trying harder, not by seeing more miracles. It is by leaning in to the presence of of Jesus, and praying that Jesus will help us to understand. Praying that Jesus will open our eyes so we can see who he is. We can see what God wants in our lives. The way we do this is, is, is by, by being in scripture, by, 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 by reading his word. He's given us his word. Everything we need to believe in him is right here. It's not through the miracles. It's not through the, the supernatural. It is right here. Everything we need to believe in him is found right here. We do this by, by saying it in prayer, by, by praying to him and saying, Jesus, God, would you help me to understand? God, would you help me to have faith? God, I don't get how it works. I know that I'm inconsistent, but God, would you meet me in my inconsistency? Would you, would you help me through that? Would you help me to become more consistent that I can see you for who you are? That I can see you not, not partially, but I would see you fully and clearly. Because when we see him fully and clearly, there's nothing that we would do that would walk away from him. Because he is that worthy of our lives. Jesus gives us faith to see by having us continue to dwell on his word. We have to be in the scriptures and we have to stay near Jesus if we're going to fully understand who Jesus is. That's God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? God, our desire is just as you healed that blind man, just as you gave him complete healing, that he could see completely, that those disciples, that you gave them complete healing, that you allow them to see you for who you really are, that you are Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. God, I pray for us in here today that you would open our eyes, that you would heal our spiritual blindness, that we would see you for who you are. That we would see you as a Messiah. As the Savior. As the only thing that will solve what's gone wrong in our hearts. That we would see that you are worthy of our lives. Of our, of our, of our, of our everything. God, I pray for those in here today. God, I know that there are some who they've seen you, uh, uh, but not clearly. They've known that you are something, but they haven't quite understood. God, I pray that today that they would understand who you are, that you are the Christ, the Savior of the world. The only way that we can come into a right relationship with God is through his son, Jesus Christ. I pray that today the eyes would be opened, that they would see you clearly for who you are. God, I pray for every one of us that when we ask that question, when we ask that question, who do you say Jesus is? That we would have that response that you are the Christ, that you are my Savior, that you are my God. Not that you're a good person, not that you're a teacher, but that you are my God. And I've surrendered my life to follow you, to be obedient to you. God, I pray that you would perform that miracle right here today. That there would be eyes that would be opened to see you for who you are. 
God, I pray for us as a church. I pray that you would help us to, to paint that picture clearly. That God, this is a Jesus that we teach about. Not just a good teacher. Not just a good person. But as the Savior of the world. God, since we see you clearly, we know that it should elicit a response. That if you are the Savior of the world, if you are the Son of God, that you are worthy of all of our praise, of all of our worship, you are worthy of our lives. God, I pray as we have this opportunity now to respond to your word through worship, God, I pray that you would help us just to, to, to spend time with you. God, I know there are someone here today that just need to spend time in prayer with you. To say, God, God, I'm struggling through this. God, I'm struggling through life. I have these circumstances that are such a heavy weight, a heavy burden. God, I pray that you would help me in my inconsistency. That I would be able to look back and be reminded of who you are. Of how gracious and loving you are. And that God, I would apply what I know about you to my life right now. And I would have the faith that you will show up. That you will, will meet me right here, right now, today. That you have not abandoned me. God, I pray there's, if there's anybody in here today that just says, Pastor, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I have these things going on in my life, and they're just a burden, I, and I just don't know what to do. I pray that you would have the boldness during these couple of songs that you would just come forward to this front row. I'll be right here, and I would love to have the opportunity to pray for any of you who would like a pastor to pray for you. And God, I pray during this time of worship that, God, you would help us to see that you are worthy of our praise, that you are worthy of our worship, you are worthy of our lives. That we could join with the worship team and just sing our praise for how good you are, for how great you are. That God, even though we are inconsistent, even though we have our struggles, that you are faithful to us, just as you were faithful to those disciples. That our faith is not because we are worthy, not because we are great, but it's because of your love. Because of that, God, I pray that we would respond through worship today, that we'd respond this week by surrendering our lives to you and by staying close to you and, and following after you. Jesus, I pray that you would meet us in this time of response. We love you, we praise you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.